This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. As we join our worship service now from Ocean Lakes, we'll be thinking together about what happened when Jesus came to Jericho. One day, when I attended a class in New Testament at the seminary, our professor asked us to take a small piece of paper and write down on it as, in as brief space as possible the one reason why Jesus came into the world. The subject of that course I was taking was entitled The Mission and Program of Christ. The answers which that professor got were all the way from A to Z. But I think that the answer that most of us wrote down was expressed in the words of Luke 19.10, which is our text for this morning. What would you say is the main reason why Jesus came to the earth? Why did he come? What do you think? The reason why Jesus came to earth was to do what? Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. This verse actually comes at the end of a section which Luke uses to give a, a picture to us in words. Here's how he describes the scene. Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem where he knew he had going to be killed. On the way to the city of Jerusalem from Galilee, Jesus passed through the city of Jericho. If you'll open your Bible with me to this passage, let's look together at this wonderful story. Since verse 10 comes as a climax in, in to the statement in chapter 19, let's back up a little bit and see what really did happen when Jesus came to Jericho. First, let's look at uh, Luke 18, verses 35 through 43. First, a blind man healed. When the master came near the city, he was approached by a man who was blind. It was probably the case that many people who were lame and blind, who had some kind of physical impairment, were outside the city. In those days, they did not have the modern help for the needy, such as we have today. And this blind man may well have been one of a great many people who had been searching for Jesus in order to be healed. Now, Luke does not tell us this man's name, but in other accounts of the same story by other gospel writers, we learn that this man was named Bartimaeus. And so as Jesus walked along that day, he might well have had his mind fixed on some other matters as he was entering the city of Jericho. He could have been on the lookout for the great palaces of days gone by because Jericho was called a large and important city. It was said to be a strong and stately city in the midst of groves and gardens. I remember very well that day of several years ago when I had the privilege of going to Jericho. Our tour bus stopped at a little wayside store, something like a country grocery store, where we were allowed to purchase some souvenirs and other items. I don't remember very much about all the trinkets and the things that our group bought, but I do remember one thing, the delicious fruit. The tree-ripened oranges and bananas 
were far tastier than anything we were accustomed to back home. We might imagine that Jesus could have been thinking about how good some fruit might taste after his long walk that day. Yes, the city of Jericho was known then and now for its groves and gardens. Or Jesus may have been thinking that day about some events which had happened to this city as recorded in the Old Testament. You remember how Joshua's army approached the city to conquer it. They marched around the city, blowing their trumpets, and the walls came tumbling down. Thoughts of that event may have been in Jesus' mind that day. There was a saying which was quite familiar to everyone back in Jesus' day. It went like this, No great man was ever born in Jericho, and no great work had ever been done there. Could it be possible that Jesus may have been thinking about all this as he entered into the city that day? Well, we don't know for sure exactly what Jesus was thinking. But there is one thing we do know. Jesus was not so preoccupied with his own thoughts that he was too busy to hear the cry of a poor blind man. Others who heard this man's cry were not so sympathetic as was Jesus. In fact, they tried to quieten this man. But those attempts only made him cry out the more, saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Surely there were other people also there who were loud in their shouts to Jesus, some calling to him for one thing, some for another. Probably some were even now calling out those words which he would later hear as he entered the city of Jerusalem. Hosanna! It was surely not a quiet, peaceful walk that day. Crowds accompanied Jesus wherever he went those days. In the midst of all that noise and confusion, Jesus heard that blind man, Bartimaeus, calling out to him. Now get this. The Bible says two words that are very significant. Jesus stopped. The King James Version says in verse 40, Jesus stood. That means he stood still. He quit walking. When Jesus stopped, don't you know this blind man's heart must have just about stopped also when he was told that Jesus had stopped? The man had no way of knowing just why Jesus had stopped, but before he could find out about it all, someone nearby was saying that Jesus wanted to see him. And so Jesus commanded that the blind man be brought to him. And the Bible tells us in verse 43 of this chapter that Jesus healed this man right then and there. He restored his sight and the man began following Jesus. I don't really think Luke does justice to this report and those bland words as we have them. Uh, what was more nearly the case was that this man wouldn't let Jesus out of his sight. And everybody he saw now, he just had to tell what Jesus had done for him. He could not keep quiet about it instead of just following Jesus. I think this man was probably jumping up and down for joy. How would you feel if you had been blind for many years and all of a sudden someone calls you to see? But before Jesus healed Bartimaeus, don't you think he might also have thought within himself, 
Now I've got a lot of work to do before I get to Jerusalem. There are many people in and around Jericho that I really need to see. I wonder if I have enough time to stop here and take up my time with this man. Then too, if I heal one blind beggar, there'll be many others. These thoughts are not recorded in the scripture, but I think they are far from idle speculation. Again, those of you who may have traveled to the Holy Land know that tourists are instructed not to give candy or any favors to the children who come to the bus windows begging for money or for anything. We were told if you give something to one, there will soon be ten more there, all begging for a handout. Well, whatever we may think Jesus could have been thinking about that day, the fact is that he stopped. He cared for one person. And you know that's characteristic of Jesus? He always cared for the individual person, as he does today. Julia Ward Howe, who wrote the words of the Battle Hymn of the Republic, once asked a senator from her state to help a man who was in despair. The senator protested. He said, but Julia, I've become so busy here in Washington that I can no longer concern myself with individuals. Julia Ward Howe, Howe answered, Charles, that is truly remarkable. Even God himself has not reached that stage yet. Aren't you glad that God is always thinking about you, loving you? He knows just where you are. He cares about your hurts, your heartaches, your loneliness, your despair. Edwin Markham wrote Man with a Hope and other poems for which he's famous. Markham had a deep sympathy and understanding of the suffering, the heartaches, the burdens of other people. One of his poems, which touches me most, is called Bring Me Your Tears. These are the words he wrote. I dare not ask your very all. I only ask a part. Bring me when dancers leave the hall your aching heart. Give other friends your lighted face, the laughter of the years. I come to crave a greater grace. Bring me your tears. Thomas Carlyle, another great author, once said, a great, deep, genuine sincerity is the first characteristic of any person who in any way can be called great. Yes, the world is hungry for love, sympathy, and understanding. And this is exactly what Jesus gave to Bartimaeus that day. It is what he offers to you and to me today. Maybe you know the old gospel song that says, One sat alone beside, beside the highway begging. His eyes were blind, the light he could not see. He clutched his rags and shivered in the shadows. Then Jesus came and bade his darkness flee. But something else happened that day when Jesus came to Jericho. Not only was a blind man healed, but secondly, a rich man was changed. You know the story. As Jesus went on into Jericho, crowds came more and more into his path. 
And there was one particular person who had heard about Jesus, but had never seen him before. This particular man was a chief among the publicans, the Bible says. More specifically, he was a chief tax collector. Uh, today, we'd probably call him the district director of internal revenue service. He had a top job. Uh, this man was probably a, a head man or overseer of local tax collectors. A number of these men might have been in Jericho. Possibly this man was the head tax collector of a large district in that whole area. But this man had only heard of Jesus, and possibly he had heard of what had happened to one of his fellow tax collectors. The fellow came from Capernaum. Matthew was his name, who had given up his lucrative tax collection business just to follow this Nazarene Jesus around. Well, this particular tax collector I speak of had heard the mob of people coming. He decided to go and see for himself. He tried to get in front of the crowd, but the people weren't about to give way for this man, whom they hated with such a passion. Actually, he was a, a short person in height. So he went on down the road a little bit, and then he climbed up in a tree in order to get a better look at Jesus. Now, of course, you know by now, this tax collector's name was Zacchaeus. You can imagine his astonishment when, as Jesus passed by, he stopped again and he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down from that tree because I'm going to your house today. Once again, we see Jesus willing to stop and to take time with one who was hated by the vast majority of people. But Jesus was willing to stop and not only to talk with him, but even to go to his own house. Well, when anyone does something that doesn't fit the prevailing religious customs of the day, that person is scorned. It matters not whether the act is for the good of the person or not. Jesus was severely criticized for his actions here. Look at verse 7. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. But when Jesus was at the house of Zacchaeus, there was a change which occurred in the life of this little man. We're not told exactly how this happened or all the circumstances, but we are told what Zacchaeus did because of the change in his life. Look again at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Now back in that day, the most rigid Jewish requirements were only that a person restore the stolen property and add an additional one-fifth of their total value. But here is this man promising to give back not just what was required, but 400% of what he had taken. I think this was proof that Zacchaeus had become a new man. He was not worried about giving just the bare minimum he was required to give. He was not saying, I'll give a tithe if I can figure out just what it's going to be. No. When his heart had changed, he also had a changed spirit. But the greatest thing that happened to Zacchaeus that day was not just his social adjustment to his surroundings. The biggest change, I think, is recorded in verse 9. 
And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. And then comes the climax in Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Yes, quite a change occurs when Jesus really comes into a person's life. He really made a difference that day when he came into the city of Jericho. No doubt you've heard preachers and others talk many times about the way Jesus can change lives. But maybe you're saying to yourself, but I'm not sure that's ever happened to me. Well, why not? Do you not want his abundant life? Yes, but... And here follows a host of excuses and reasons why not. You know, the older I get and the more I see life, the more I just wonder what anyone has to gain by refusing to come on and commit their lives to Christ. If you've been holding back on God, waiting, when you know full well what God really wants you to do, what are you waiting for? Do you gain any peace down inside by saying no to God over and over? Do you really think there will ever be a more appropriate time to say yes to Him than right now? Yes, the older we get, we see things a little differently. And yesterday I had another birthday in my life, turned 85. No matter how long we may live, life is really too short to play games with God. Every moment, every day that we delay is a moment, a day wasted. Someday, sometime, why not now? Jesus can take your life, forgive your sins, make you a new person, give you a new direction to your life, and then give you strength to overcome those temptations that you cannot seem to overcome by yourself. And he can make you the kind of person that you will be happy to live with. When Jesus comes in and touches your life, he can make it new and clean and beautiful. Perhaps you know the little poem, The Touch of the Master's Hand. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on that old violin. But he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folk? He cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar? A dollar? Then two. Only two? Two dollars. Who'll make it three? Three dollars once. Three dollars twice. Going for three. But no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loosened strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as a caroling angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, Now what am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars? Who'll make it two? Two thousand. Who'll make it three? 3,000 once, 3,000 twice, and going and gone, said he. The people cheered, but some of them cried, We do not quite understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand.
and many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A thrill here, a sin there, and soon he travels on. He's going once and going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. A blind man healed. Zacchaeus changed. Opened eyes. Cleansed hearts. New lives. And just because Jesus passed that way. Yes, great things do happen. Did happen when Jesus came to Jericho. And great things will happen today in your life when you let Jesus come into your heart. Oh God, we pray that that might happen right now. Many of us who are hearing my voice have professed to be Christians, but we need to come closer to you and let you have full control. So do that now, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.